Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Oh, great and merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have revealed to us through nature, but also your world, world and your word, who you are. Lord, that you have told us in your word that blessed is the one whose way is blameless who walks in the law of the Lord. Lord, that we understand that those who meditate on your word day and night is a blessed man whose roots are deep by the streams of water who yields his fruit in season and out. Lord, we pray that we would drink well from this deep depths of the water of God this very evening, that our roots would flourish, that we would be rooted and strongly established in Christ and Christ alone. Lord, help us to be that blessed man who uh, does not wither, who yields its fruit in its season. Pray that you'd help us do this, not through the means of men, but through your extraordinary means of grace and through the work of the Spirit in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word, Lord, from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. This is God's holy and errant life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Always, in every prayer of mine, for you are making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Last time as we were studying through the book of uh, the Philippians, we looked at the pastor's heart towards his flock and his congregation. In the opening passage, Paul wrote to his beloved congregation, the First Presbyterian Church in Philippi, as he remembered this church's partnership with this church, his partnership with this church. And he is overrun with thanksgiving and praise directed to God and God alone. He gave thanks to God the Father through God the Son by the God the Holy Spirit, by God the Holy Spirit. And tonight, as we look at the same passage of Scripture in verses 3 to 11, but we're not going to look at it from the pastor's heart. We're looking at particularly from Paul's prayer for this congregation. 
You see this throughout the passage in every prayer in verse 3, making my prayer with joy in verse 3. It is my prayer in verse 9. So what does Paul, this pastor, pray for this congregation? And how can this prayer help us pray for this congregation today, but also each other? The first thing that we see and notice in verse 6 is that he will finish it. He will finish it in verse 6. Paul says that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. There is great comfort to be found in this single verse in the pages of Scripture. Great comfort can be found throughout all of Scripture. But if we were to contemplate and and find comfort, this is a great verse to be able to find a comfort of assurance, of our confidence, of our hope, that we would pray this prayer of this great assurance. Paul begins by saying... That I am sure of this. The many of a promise of Bi- found in the Bible begins with what we can know and what we can surely know. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 verse 39 that I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor authorities. And he finishes that by saying that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Paul writes to his young son, his young pastor, um, mentor E. He says this in chapter 1, verse 12. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He says that he knows something for certain. The believers can say with great confidence, I know, I am sure. Now we cannot say this about all things. We can only be certain of what the word tells us. And Paul begins by saying, I am sure of this. We might not be able to know the tenth number in pi. Or remember it? We don't maybe even know what day of the week it is. What day of the month it is. What even year it is. We don't know why the week that we've had has been the way it has. Or the week that is up ahead. We do not know that. Do not know what tomorrow may bring. Do not know what our life will look like in five years. We do not know the answers to the deepest questions of the deepest parts of our soul. But Paul says, I am sure of this, that I know this. It is not based on actions, not based on sitting on who is in the Oval Office. He says, I am sure that God finishes what he starts. That God finishes what he starts. Around my house, I have a long list of projects that need to be done. I plan to finish them, but they are out of my control in some sense of the word. A carpenter's house is never finished until it is sold. And so, that is the story of our house. But God, we know, finishes what he starts. That we can find a great assurance in this passage. 
And let's start at the very beginning. That we can have assurance because God starts. If we think that God needs to finish what we begin, it all depends, right, if we start the correct way. If we're on the right track. But the glorious part of our salvation is that it is begun and started by God. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, Blessed be the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Here we see the very beginning. What did we do in that time before the foundation of the world was laid? Did we cast our vote? No, here, we have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world. And Jesus tells Nicodemus as he meets with him that night that a true believer must be born again. When is he born again? When the Spirit moves. When the wind blows. And salvation begins with God. Jesus answered in John chapter 6, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. What is the work? It's not a work from us that we believe, it's a work from God that we believe. Or as the author of Hebrews in chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is seated at the right hand of God. God is not merely the editor of our faith. He is the author of our faith, the founder of our faith. Not only we can know and have assurance because God began this good work, but God, Paul also says that God finishes what he starts. We have assurance, not merely that God has begun this process, but God will finish this process as well. Paul makes a joke to the Galatian, the church in Galatia, where he says, are you so foolish? In chapter 3. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? You think you're born again by the Spirit, and now we're going to finish it under the flesh. The great and glorious truth. Psalm 138, the Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Here the psalmist is recording that the Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Not that He will begin it and we will finish it. The Lord will fulfill and finish for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another great and glorious promise, right? doesn't matter on the week that we've had that God will finish it. As Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. There's a certainty 
That God starts our salvation, God finishes our salvation from beginning to end. It is a work of God that He may receive all glory, honor, and power. The, the, the uh, author of Hebrews does not merely just say that Jesus is the author of our faith, the founder of our faith, but He is also the perfecter of our faith. And here Paul writes to this church and he's excited about their story of past, but he's also certain of their salvation, not because what they are doing. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. But also we have great assurance and confidence Not merely just because God starts it. Not merely because God is going to finish it. But this work has begun. And yet it is not finished yet. We are not done yet. Not merely does God begin it and finish it. But also, we are still a work in progress. That the day of the Lord Jesus Christ has not come yet. That we have confidence, not merely that we were saved before the foundation of the world, that we will be glorified in that last day. But God is working, and He is working in us. Later on in the book of Philippians, Paul writes... For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Your God is working on us. Again, the author of Hebrews in chapter 13. The God will equip you with everything good, that you may do His will, working in us, that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, Amen. It's not merely God works. It's God is working. The ING, the, He's working in us. We're again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word from men, but as what is reality is. The word of God which is at work in you believers. Not a great, a great confidence that we have. Not merely God starts it, God finishes it, but God's word is working in us to bring us in that great and glorious day. Or as Mr. Dayton has pointed out in a song that you all have sung in the past, that he's still working on me to make me what I need to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. What a pastoral prayer to be able to pray for a congregation. That we'd have an assurance of faith of where God begins it, where God finishes, but also how he works in us today. To be able to pray that God would continue to work in our own lives, individually as a church. But Paul also prays, not merely of this great assurance that we have, but he also prays about how 
this church might fulfill all of these things. In verses 9 to 11, Paul specifically prays, and it is my prayer that you may abound, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. and So be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Again, that to be able to present us in that last day. Filled with the fruit of the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul here prays four things for this congregation as he's thinking and contemplating the work which God began. He will finish and is continually working. The first thing he prays is for this abounding love. He says that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Paul's prayer is that they grow in grace and grow in love. We often think as love that is just is or it isn't. But here he says that love is something that grows within a believer. We think of love as merely an, an emotion, a light switch, either on or off. But here Paul is praying that their love would grow. We love, our, our love needs to grow because we are not perfect. There are things once a, a person hates, but once become a believer, they learn to grow to love. Now, God's love is perfect. His love is pure, but ours is not. And Paul prays that these Christians would grow in their love. Now, again, we often think as love as something that is monolithic. But that's not what the Bible says. You might say, well, how do I grow in love? What does this love look like? Well, we give in a list. And we start to read through this list and we understand how unloving we actually are. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now we understand why love needs to abound in our lives more and more. We've become more patient, more kind. Put off the envy and the boasting. Not being arrogant or rude. Putting others first. This list could go on and on. But not merely do we think of love as something monolithic that we can't nearly grow in. But also, we think of love as something that is an emotion, a feeling to feel. But our Paul's prayer is not merely that we just abound more in these feelings and emotions. Paul's prayer is that we abound more and more in love, in knowledge and discernment. That their love is paired with their mind, their heart and their mind together. Now again, this is strange to our ears, but we need to understand the word of love not merely from our world that we grow up in, but wisdom and knowledge which is found in the Bible. This is Paul's prayer to the church in Colossae. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Here, this knowledge and and understanding to be able to grow, not merely in love, but that love is paired 
with this knowledge and discernment. To be able to be renewed in the knowledge, as Paul continues in in Colossians chapter 3, into the image of His Creator, that we would learn how to love like God loves. Not merely just redefine love in categories and terms we want it to be, but to be loving like God is. And then we understand how Paul would pair these things together. As the author of Proverbs begins and lays the foundation of all the Proverbs that follow, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fools despise wisdom and instruction. You want to understand how you grow more in love? Is understand God's love. And then reflect this. You want to know what love is? Understand God. The springs of love, Oswell Chambers says, are in God and not us. How often we try and turn that around. Not only are we to abound in love, but the second thing we pray is that we are proving of excellency. It doesn't stop there. He says, so that as we grow more in this knowledge and wisdom of love and abound, there's a purpose behind this so that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. As we approve, as we test, examine the things that are around this, this knowledge and all discernment of God's love, is then we're able to understand what is excellent. Excellent speaks of something of value, something of worth, to be able to test the ability, the, uh, ability to be able to test the value of things. Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. Here Paul is is mocking the Jews in this passage because they don't understand the law. They haven't tested and examined the law. They're boasting in their examination and their excellency of the law and they think they're better than the Gentiles. Because they can merely teach the law, but yet they still break the law. But the true purpose of the law is revealed later, as Paul explains in Romans chapter 3, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no distinction, he explains. And Paul is writing to this church in Philippi and he is explaining that they might be able to, as they abound in this love, to be able to prove what is excellent. In Christ. Again, this excellency is not rooted in our eyes of the flesh nor the world's definition, but in Christ and Him alone that we might be able to live like Christ. To be able to be pure and blameless in that day of Christ. Again, Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 says, Now may my... Our God and Father Himself, our Lord Jesus Christ, direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. So that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The third aspect of His prayer is He prays that, that they would be adorning fruit, that we adorning fruit 
that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. However, again, the key is not merely that we say to ourselves, let's try really hard and bear more fruit. As we consider God beginning and God ending and God working, Paul lays out this principle in in 1 Corinthians that I planted, Apollos watered, but it is God who gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor nor he who waters is anything, but it is only God who gives growth. That God starts, God finishes, and God brings the growth in the middle. This comes as Paul says in verse 10, through Jesus Christ. You want to know how all of this happens? This fruit in our life is, is through Jesus Christ. Francis de Sales writes this. You're going to take the high sea of the world. Do not change on that account. Patrons or sails or anchor or wind. Have Jesus always as your patron. His cross for a mast. On which you must be spread for resolutions as you sail. Your anchor shall be a proud confidence in him. And sail. May the favorable wind of celestial inspirations ever fill your vessel sails fuller and fuller and make you happily arrive at the port of a holy eternity. Do not sail that boat. The world says this boat is filled with luxury and pleasures. But always have Jesus at the helm. Always have His gospel ever before us. This is how we bear fruit, as Paul writes in Galatians, what the fruit of the Spirit is. The Spirit in our life then bears fruit of this righteousness upon us. As God works in us, to be able to present us blameless in that great and glorious day. That this fruit would grow in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That we put to death those passions of the flesh, which died when Christ was hung on the cross, buried in the tomb and risen now is the new life, the new Christian who walks in this newness of life, bearing the fruits of righteousness in their life. But also that Paul's prayer ends with again all glory and honor given to God. Now if we did any aspect of this in our own accord, we would have right to be able to boast, right to be able to give praise to ourselves, pat ourselves on the back and say, Didn't we do a good job? Did you see how my love abounded? Did you see how patient I was? Did you see those fruits of righteousness bearing witness in my life? I have reason to boast. I have reason to attest. But here, Paul says that this would give ascending praise. Ascending praise. He ends to the glory and praise of God. All for this purpose. It is God from start to finish. No one can boast. No one can turn around and say, I am getting really good at this humility thing. 
The blessing and assurance that we have is not found in ourselves, but in Christ alone. Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, and now having received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order by the mercy shown to you, that they may also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Paul's movement from this is God is the one who gives all mercy, that all praise is given to him. He breaks out in this doxological praise, directed not at whom he speaks, the people, either Jews or Gentiles, but he says... And gives praise to God. Oh, the depths of riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him. Be glory forever. Amen. That when we realize that this is a work of God from beginning to end and even in the middle, we have a great confidence, as the author of Hebrews exclaimed, that we have a great confidence to be able to draw near to the holy places, not through our weak, not through our works. We come and approach this great throne with confidence because of the blood of Jesus Christ. A great and glorious truth that we have is we do not work for our salvation. We rest and receive in our salvation. Because the work has been done. It's been accomplished. It's been applied through Jesus dying on the cross. We cannot get more saved. We cannot be more holy than when we will be presented in that last day. For we uh, have that received that righteousness from God. As our old man dies day to day, we put to death the sin in our, in our flesh, put on Christ. A glorious truth is we rest and receive in Christ. That we rest in Him and Him alone. And this is the pastor's prayer to this church in Philippi. That they wouldn't strive to be able to seek to be work better for their salvation. But Paul knows this, that God finishes what he starts. Although we might have a flickering torch, although we might have a weary soul, that we'd put our trust and our faith in Christ and Christ alone. He's the only remedy for our sin. He's the only salvation, salva, Savior of our salvation. He is not merely just the author. He's the editor. He's the perfecter. He's the finisher. He's the publisher of our faith. What a great and glorious truth that we have in this passage. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most glorious Father, we give you thanks and praise for this great and comforting passage of Scripture. 
for those who put their faith and their trust truly in Christ. No, the Christ finishes what he starts, and he starts what he finishes. Lord, let us know of this great assurance. Help us to persevere until the end by the strength of your Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.